If you have your Bibles, turn them to the book of Jude. I'm going to start reading at verse 8 and read through verse 13. Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme glorious ones. But Michael the archangel, when he, disputing with the devil, was arguing about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men blaspheme all the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay have poured themselves into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reeves in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And as we look at these verses today, I want us to not only expose the fruit of the imposters, but I want us to think about how we can contend for the faith against these imposters just by the way we obey Christ. Just by the way we live in Christ, we can contend for the faith. Listen to the words of our Master. John 1, 45-47 Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. <clears throat> Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said about him, Behold, truly an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. And the, the word here for no deceit is actually guile, no guile, or no bait hooks. And that's a fishing term, which these men would have understood. And when a person is fishing, they are practicing the method of guile. The fisherman uses a nice, attractive lure with a hook, with a worm, with a hook on the worm. And that hook, likes, it, it looks like an attractive meal to the fish. When the fish sees the attraction and bites down on that worm, the fish is in for a life-changing event. <laughs> and now that fish becomes a nice meal for a fisherman. 
The fishermen use the method of guile to deceive the fish in order to catch the fish. So Jesus said of Nathanael, in whom there is no deceit, what you see is what you get. Nathaniel is not pretending to be something that he is not. So the question, can Jesus say this about you? Are you like Nathaniel? So we should think about that as we go through and look at the fruit of the imposters. So today our focus is going to be on Jude 12 and 13, where Jude will continue to make his point about the fruit of the imposters. As Jude will break away from his combinations of three and use a combination of five. In Jude verses 12 and 13, Jude uses five similitudes of nature or similitudes of promise. So what is a similitude? A similitude is a similarity, a comparison, a likeness, a shadow, essentially the same as a parable in order to teach a lesson or make a point. First Corinthians 10:11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have arrived. There's a similarity there, and we can see how they lived. We can see their error, and we can differ from it. So what is a similitude of nature? A similitude of nature uses everyday truths about nature to make a point or an argument, to teach a lesson. Matthew seven fifteen through 16, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So we see a similitude of nature used by Christ. In the parable or similitude which is being used, there is a promise that will surely come to pass or happen because it can do no other. Also in a similitude of promise, there can be a negative side and then the hopeful, positive side of that promise. Old Testament example, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word will be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what it pleases me, what pleases me and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So that's a similitude of nature and a similitude of promise. New Testament example, Matthew seven seventeen through 18. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Do you see the promise? So let me read to you again, and you can see these five similitudes of nature and promise. Jude 12 and 13. These are the men who are hidden reefs, 
and your love feasts whenever they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So you see number one, hidden reefs. Number two, clouds without water. Number three, trees without fruit. Number four, wild waves of the sea. Number five, wandering stars. So my goal for us today is to look at the negative side of these similitudes and see the bad fruit of the imposters in verses 12 and 13. And then after that, I want to do the same as I heard one man do when he preached through these verses, and that is to look at the positive side of these similitudes and challenge us to produce good fruit in our lives by the grace of God for His glory. That should always be the challenge. We see something negative, we should want to... What's the positive? If it's negative, I want to do the opposite. I want to be the positive. So Jude 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. So Jude here gives us the first similitude of nature as he says these these imposters are hidden reefs. And maybe your Bible says spot or blemish. And the translators, when they translated the King James and other Bibles, they just grabbed that from Second Peter. But it's actually a different word. The word here, hidden reef, it means rocks covered by water and is referring to uncharted reefs that present dangerous obstacles for a ship to navigate through water. It's a whole different word in the Greek. So if your translation says spot or blemish, sorry for you. So what happens with a hidden reef? Well, when the ship is sailing along through the waters and hits a hidden reef, it unexpectedly rips the bottom right out of the ship and causes that ship to sink. And usually it's in a bad spot where everybody on board perishes. Because the ship hits that hidden reef unexpectedly, it it causes not only the ship to sink, but the whole crew and all the passengers as well, they perish. Jude gives us this picture that these imposters are very dangerous, and because they are without grace, mercy, peace, and love, they are willing to make shipwreck of anyone's faith. And this usually will happen when that person least expects the imposter to do this. 2 Timothy 2, 16-18, But avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead further into ungodliness, And their word will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus, who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. This hidden wreath upsets the faith when they least expect it. It upsets their faith. It it destroys their faith. Titus 1, 10, and 11. For there are many rebellious men empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake 
of dishonest gain. Jude does not want any Christian who encounters these impostors to be caught off guard and have their faith destroyed. But it can happen. It can set you back. It can make you maybe not believe the word of God is true. Maybe they say, that's not real. That's not from history. And now you're questioning God. God, is your word true? And it is. Do you see how that can set you back? Maybe you have some sin that needs to be dealt with. And they show you no grace. But they tell you it's all over. Jesus has no mercy for you. So, Jude 12, these men are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. Jude says these impostors are hidden reefs in your love feasts. So what is a love feast? It is a common meal eaten by the early Christians in connection with their church service in order to serve one another, express their love for one another, and fellowship together around a meal. Acts 2.46, and daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. This is meant to be a place where you grow in your faith and you see Christ working. And Jude says these men are in that love feast and they're hidden reefs and they're ready to destroy your faith. So today we call this love feast our shared meal. And Jude says these imposters, they feast with you. They feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. And this shows that these impostors have come in believing that they are unnoticed by the church. And their reason for coming into the love feast is for their own gain, in order to satisfy their own appetite. The impostors' unbelief has caused them to be able to come into the love feast without fear. We get a picture of this in Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira tried to deceive the church without fear, in order for their own gain. Peter says to them, Why is it that you laid this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but, of, but to God. And as Sapphira, as she heard these words, or as Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard. These impostors don't have that fear. Acts 5 again, then Peter said to her, Sapphira, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. And as I said, the impostor's unbelief causes them not to fear. Because if we've, we've seen previously, they see the works of God. But seeing doesn't make you believe. And they don't believe it. So they have no fear. The impostors are not at the love feast for the purpose of serving others in the church, but they want everyone in the church to serve them. That's what Jude's saying here. These are the men, Jude 12, these are the men who are clouds without waters, 
carried along by winds. So here Jude gives us the second similitude of nature as he says these imposters are clouds without water. We get a picture of a farmer who's experiencing a drought and a desperate need, and he's in desperate need of rain on his fields in order that his crops do not die but produce a good harvest. The farmer sees the clouds coming and is hopeful for rain, but the clouds come and go, carried by winds, and do not produce a drop of rain for the farmer's field, and his crop is still in danger of turning into dust. Jude gives us this example and is pointing out that these impostors claim to have great gifts and come into the church promising to be a great blessing to the church, but the impostors come and go, and they do not provide anything that is profitable for any Christian, and they provide nothing that is helpful to the church. They're just deceivers. The impostors have made themselves look like something they are not. Proverbs 25, 14, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. And maybe they do have gifts, worldly gifts that look like a blessing from God to the church, but that's not what he's using them for or she's using them for. So back to Jude 12. These are the men who are autumn trees, without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Jude gives us the third similitude of nature here as he says these impostors are autumn trees without fruit. Jude says these are autumn trees without fruit, by, and by using that word autumn here, Jude gives us a picture that the season for, for producing fruit has come and gone, but these trees did not produce any fruit. Jude says these impostors made themselves look like good trees, but when these trees were examined, they were found to bear no fruit. Luke six forty three and 45. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor they, do they pick grapes from a bramble bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from the abundance of his heart. And Jude says they went to inspect. These guys are autumn trees without fruit. And he's saying they have no good fruit. They've been examined, and we can't find any good fruit. And the season has come and gone. What kind of fruit should a Christian bear? Well, John the Baptist said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Luke 3, 8 and 9. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. But indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This implies that the Christian is always turning from sin and self to God. 
And Jude is saying that these imposters never bear the fruit of true repentance. So Jude goes on. These are the men who are doubly dead and uprooted, these unfruitful trees. And Jude is showing that these imposters are spiritually dead under the judgment of God, and because of their lack of fruit, they have already been uprooted by God. And like I said, the autumn has come and gone. The season has come and gone, and they are not producing fruit. And now they are uprooted. Mark eleven twelve through 14. And on the next day when they had left Bethany, Jesus became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree that had leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. We get another picture of this in Revelation 3, verse 1. And the angel of the church of Sardis write, This is what he who has seven spirits of God and seven stars says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This church looked alive, but when Jesus examined them, he said they were dead. Get the same picture with Jude. These are autumn trees that bear no fruit. Jude 13. These are men who are wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Jude gives us the fourth similitude of nature. Here, as he says, these impostors are wild waves of the sea. The word wild here means untamed, angry, violent. Jude says these impostors are wild waves. They are without self-control and without peace. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 give us a picture. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Jude says these wild waves are casting up their own shame like foam. And the foam is a residue that is formed on the surface of the water by the violent agitation of the waves. When the wild waves violently hit the beach or seashore, they leave the foam residue all along the beach or seashore. And you can clearly see every part of the beach that has been impacted by the the wild waves. Jude points out that these these impostors leave a path of destruction everywhere they go. And their shameful acts cause a negative effect on everyone that they encounter. It may take a while before you see those effects. But they do happen. This gives us the idea that a person will never find rest or feel restored after spending time with these impostors. A person who spends time around the impostor will leave feeling more weary and more agitated instead of being at peace. Let's go on in Jude 13. These men who are wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Jude gives us the fifth 
similitude of nature here as he says these imposters are wandering stars. Jude is referring to a navigation here. People to this day still use the stars to navigate in the dark. The stars light up the sky when the sun goes down and you can use a fixed you can use the fixed star and a fixed location to guide you where you need to go. We get a good picture of this in Matthew 2 when the star guided the wise men to the newborn baby Jesus in the town of Bethlehem. Matthew 2, 7 through 11. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold... The star, which they had seen in the east, was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. So we see a picture of a fixed star that leads the wise men right to Christ. Jude refers to the imposters as wandering stars. And the word error that we looked at in Jude 11 derives from the verb to wander and means to ramble here and there without any certain course or object in view. These men, you can, just, you can never get a fine line on them. They're back and forth. They wander, and they never actually point you to Christ they may point you to some truths about the Bible, but you never get to Christ like these wise men just did, following the fixed star. Jude describes these imposters as pretending to be bright lights in the church, but they never stay on a straight path. They never lead the Christians to the object in which they need most, and that is Jesus Christ. Oh, you can find them. They'll lead you to themselves. But you're never led to Jesus Christ. They'll talk about Jesus Christ, but they never actually lead you to Him. And how could they if they don't have Him? We'll go on in Jude 13. Jude says, For whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Jude goes on once again to give a warning to the entire audience in the church that these imposters are going to experience eternal punishment from God. Black darkness, it can also mean great darkness or outer darkness, as is used in the Gospels. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be washed, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness. Matthew twenty-two, eleven through 13. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
One man writes of the black darkness. It is the farthest point away from God. The fountain of life and glory. And so expresses that extreme misery, horror, and torment that constitute hell. Hell is a dark and dismal region where men are deprived of the light of God's presence and are tormented tormented with the presence of the devil. So let's go on here in Jude 13. For whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And forever here means everlasting, eternal, without end. There are some people that want to deny that hell is not eternal punishment. But it is. It truly is. Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will also say to those, who, those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is an eternal place. And Jude says these imposters will be there. So we've looked at these similitudes of nature. We've looked at the negative side of these similitudes. And now I want to focus on the positive side of these similitudes, as I heard one man do when he preached through these verses. And I'm going to challenge us to be the positive side of these similitudes in our lives by the grace of God and for His glory. We need to look at each one and and just, maybe this week, take a pencil and a paper. Write it down. Where am I missing the mark? Ask God to give you grace to be just the opposite of these imposters. Write it down. So first, the hidden reefs. Jude says these imposters are hidden reefs and that anyone who comes into contact with the imposter is in danger of having their faith become shipwrecked and ripped away. So the challenge for us is to be charted reefs. This has the idea of a safe passage and safety to anyone who meets with you. Charted reefs can be used for ships to anchor up against in order to make repairs and have safety from the wild waves of the sea during storms. Telling my wife about this last night, we saw a good picture of this, of the, the safety of a charted reef in a movie, The Finest Hours, based on a true story. The ship was damaged by a major storm. The ship was taking on water rapidly. So the crew of the ship grounded the ship on a reef, and the whole crew was saved from drowning in the ocean. They found a, a charted reef, a safe harbor, and they grounded the ship on them. And then the Coast Guard came and got them and saved them. As Christians, we should be the safest people for anyone. No matter where they are at in their life, and no matter what sin they're entangled in, as Luke just showed us, they should be able to come to us. They should be able to anchor against the Christian for safety, Repairs and encouragement. 
Why should you be a chartered reef? Well, this book says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Seems like a good reason to be a, a charted reef. Second, clouds without water. Jude says these imposters promise to be a blessing, but they do not provide any refresh, refreshment or anything that is pro profitable for the people they encounter. So the challenge for us is to be moisture-laden clouds. As Christians, we should be a blessing to anyone who comes into contact with us, and we should be able to point them to the fresh grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Deuteronomy 32, 2-4 Let what I have learned drop as the rain, my speech distill as dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass and as the showers on the herb, for I proclaim the name of Yahweh. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Why should we be a moisture-laden cloud and point people to Christ? 1 John 4, 9-11 through 11. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what a moisture-laden cloud does, and that's why each and every one of us should be one. Uh, third, trees without fruit. Jude says these impostors made themselves to look like good trees, but when these trees were examined, they were found to bear no fruit. The challenge for us is to be fruit-bearing trees. Everyone who examines our lives should see the gospel produce so much good fruit in our lives that they know it is the power of God working in us, making us new creations in Christ and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ daily. And they'll see it, and they will give glory to God. 
1 Peter 2, 9-12. But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, by keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We must be fruit-bearing trees. Why should we be a fruit-bearing tree? Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that, denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Does that make you want to be a fruit-bearing tree? Fourth, wild waves of the sea. Jude says the impostors are unstable, full of anger, and that anyone who spends time with these impostors goes away weary and agitated without rest. So the challenge for us is to be gentle, rolling waves of the sea. When you go to any beach and the waves of the sea are gentle, rolling waves, it is very refreshing to your soul and to your body. Something about the gentle waters helps a person to relax and get rest, and they feel like their burdens for that day are gone. So they go away feeling better than when they first arrived. As Christians, we want everyone who comes into contact with us to go away refreshed by the mercy, peace, and love that God is producing in us. We want to be gentle, rolling waves. Why should you be a gentle, rolling wave? 1 Peter. Therefore, having girded up your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of the Lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart, 
For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is through the living and enduring word of God. That's a good reason to be a rolling, a gentle rolling way for anyone who comes into contact with you. Fifth, wandering stars. Jude describes these imposters as pretending to be bright lights in the church, but they never stay on a straight path and never lead the Christians to the object in need, which is Jesus Christ. The challenge for us is to be fixed stars. As Christians, we want our light to shine bright in the darkness, and we want to lead everyone that comes into contact with us to our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We don't want to stand out ourselves, but we want to point them to the one who can save their soul. Philippians 2, 12 through 16. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to boast, because I did not run in vain or labor in vain." Why should you be a fixed star? For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We must be a fixed star. Point people to Christ. And if you're a Christian today, that's what happened to you. There was a fixed star that pointed you to Christ. And Paul says God's doing the same thing in you so that others can be reconciled to God. So, what will happen if you, became, if you become a charted reef, a moisture-laden cloud, a fruit-bearing tree, a gentle rolling wave, and a fixed star? 
And remember, we have an audience. We have the Christians who are becoming more and more like this. We have the doubters who are wondering, which direction do I go? We have the influencers that are telling people to go headlong into sin. We have those who have been influenced who are stuck and entrenched in their sins because they listen to the influencers. We have our triune God. So what will happen if we become all of these? Christ gives us the answer in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these things are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's the answer. That's what will happen if you become a charted reef, a moisture-laden cloud, a fruit-bearing tree, a gentle rolling wave, and a fixed star. And I'm not talking about works righteousness. I'm talking about pressing on in Christ. Grace. Christ making you new daily. Amen.